0: Hello there, guys, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I'm speaking with Francesca Riannon of the Writer's Voice Podcast. So guys, if you weren't already aware, the Writer's Voice podcast is a podcast that's been going on for over 14 years, so it's one of the original podcasts. Now, it started off as a radio show, and now it's simultaneously a radio show and a podcast, so you can check out the details of that in the description, but me and Francesca have a really, really cool chat. Um, This is the full conversation, so there's no splits or anything like that, and just in brief, we speak about how Francesca first got into hosting the radio show and it turned into a podcast, how we speak to authors on both of our shows, the importance Of representation how hosting an audio show has actually changed how both myself and Francesca hold conversations, other things that Francesca is passionate about, and then just podcast hosting in general. So this is a really, really good show for anyone interested in writing or talking to authors or even starting up your own podcast or for any tips and anything like that, because Francesca is, if anything else a veteran of the audio arts. I had a really, really good time speaking with her and you need to make sure you check out the links in the description to her websites. And also a big shout out to Tonya Todd. She's been on the show a few times before and she hosts the 52 Love podcast because she is the one who connected the two of us. So after you listen to this, make sure you check out Francesca's podcast, check out Tonya Todd's podcast and tell them both how much fun you had listening to this conversation as it would mean the world to all of us. And there's just going to be a quick promo today before the full chat gets started. It's a collection of essays, which has been put together by Scott Weatherly, who's a good friend of the show. There's essays in there from him, Tony Farina, and loads of other cool people. So if you're interested in Judge Dredd, make sure you check out the link in the description. So with all that in mind, guys, let's get started with the conversation. As I said, links are in the description, and I'll be back at the end of this conversation to give you guys information of what's coming up and lots of other bits and pieces there. So without further ado, I give you Francesca Riannon of The Writer's Voice. (laughs) Secwart Presents, Judging Dread, 13 Essays, Analyzing, 2000 AD's Most Beloved and Reviled Character, Forward by Matt Smith, Interview with Rob Williams, Edited by Scott Weatherly. Find out who is the law. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. And I'm here today with Francesca Riannon. Francesca, it's absolutely wonderful to speak with you. Uh, We know each other through a mutual friend, Miss Tanya Todd, who's been on the show numerous times and she's delightful. So you've got a show called The Writer's Voice. Please uh, tell us a little bit about it and yourself.
1: First of all, thanks so much for having me on your show. It's really a terrific show. Uh, Writer's Voice, no the Writer's Voice uh, has been on the air since two thousand four, and it's been a podcast since two thousand six. And when I first started podcasting it, I had to tell people what a podcast was because they they I I said it's like TiVo for radio. Yeah. <laughs> so- and now I think TiVo's pretty much gone by the wayside, but the podcasting universe has really exploded.
0: It definitely has. Yeah. I mean, I still today have to tell people what a podcast is. So, you know, going back that many years ago, it must have been almost no one knew about knew about it at all.
1: That's that's true. I went to the, I believe, the first podcasting convention in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, and it was, you know, maybe a hundred people.
0: Mm. Yeah, you got in there early. That's amazing. Um, so so what made you start the, the radio show to begin with, really?
1: Well, it's interesting. It's actually a book that uh, got me started. I had gone to uh, – it's a bit of a long story, so I, I'll try to make it short. But basically, I went to Provence in 2001, just after 9-11 happened. And I went there to write a different book about my father who had been in the um, it had been involved in an underground community during World War II uh with a group of other very interesting people. And I was gonna go to Provence to write this book because one of the people who had been a tangential member of it had invited me to come and stay at his villa in Provence uh and write my book. And it was after 9-11, I was really blown away by that, I mean, literally, I I had to postpone my flight for several weeks because of 9-11, and I ended up writing a memoir um, that, long story short, did lead me back to my father's story, but in a much more personal way, and that memoir was rooted in the values that I was learning in Provence. And, You know, I really loved my stay there. I was there for almost nine months and uh, got back, wrote the book in 2003, 2004, early 2004, and then thought to myself, you know, I had a lot of tape. I had a lot of audio, you know, interviews that I'd done, sounds that I'd picked up, soundscapes and things like that. And I thought... Why don't I make an audio book? You know, and I'll just publish it myself. But I don't know how to talk on mic. I don't know anything about recording my voice. And I looked for interview. I looked for, you know, lessons on being a radio broadcaster. I really couldn't find anything that was local. Those were the days before Zoom and online things of that kind. Remote learning and ran into a friend who was a DJ at the local university and college radio station, student and uh, uh, sorry, college and community radio station, WMUA, a venerable institution, had been around since uh, 1949, and um, had a lot of retired professional broadcasters on it, and then a lot of students who wanted to become professional broadcasters. And and he said, "Well, you can learn how to talk on mike if you join the station, and you can just do that for free." And I did. And first, I apprenticed on another show, uh, kind of a, a, a you know public affairs show. And then I thought, you know, I want to learn. You know, I want to publish my book. Maybe if I have a show called Writer's Voice and I interview authors and publishers and editors and people like that, I'll learn about the book industry and that will make it easier for me to publish my book. How naive I was. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, I got totally bitten by the radio bug. I got some great authors very early on. I think my my first author was Rob Robert Reich who was Uh, Clinton's or President Clinton's labor secretary, and is still, uh, you know, he writes for the Guardian. He's, he's an economist, he's a very big name, and I happen to know his sister. so (laughs) I got him to talk on the show, he gave me a great interview. And then there was Augustine Burroughs, who who had some real fame in this country with a number of his memoirs. He's a very acerbic writer. And Uh, It kind of took off from there. And how do you get people? You know, I went to the college broadcasting um, conference just as I was planning to do my show. This was probably in the spring of 2004. My show went on air in July of 2004. And I'll never forget what uh, the person who did radio interviews told us. I went to this little workshop. There were maybe five people there. And she said, if you don't ask, you won't get the people you want. She said, just ask. All they can do is say no. And it gave me complete permission to just reach out. If I wanted to talk to an author, I figured out pretty quickly how to do that, which is, you know, an author's written a book. They want publicity. You find out who the publicist is. You tell them you want to interview the author, and they almost always, not always, but they almost always say yes. And then, you know, once you have a few big names, you know, and your name gets around, well, the they start contacting you. <laughs> so, you know, that's how I got started. I wrote my book over – uh i mean really it it's, uh, several years uh i got very discouraged about publishing it publishing industry, it's very very hard to break into it put it away and then just a couple of years ago uh i took up the book again i finished it and i have an agent now and um uh, trying to market it finally but i'm i i, I i'm not sure that my show has made much of a difference, although it might, because it is important as a writer if you have some kind of a platform. And I'm certainly known in the publishing industry. Um, but the show itself has, has t- took on a life of its own. And how did I continue? I'm just endless. I mean, there are so many wonderful books that are always being published. I love conversation. It's something I really shared with my, with my, my father, my, uh, the one I wrote about. Uh, he was dedicated, he used to tape his conversations and, uh, you know, that's, that's why I still do it and free books. I get free books.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, part, the funny thing is with my show is that, um, where I've, you know, I wouldn't say I've got a name for myself like you have in the same way, but I've spoken to quite a lot of authors and things. And I say the number one guest that I have to say no to is, uh, authors, not on the basis that I don't want to talk to them, but because, I could probably, from the amount of people who have contacted me trying to get, you know, publicists and that sort of thing, I think that if I said yes to all of them, I think 20%, maybe 30% of all conversations I'd have would be about books, which isn't a problem, but obviously my show, I'm trying to be varied. And I try not to have too many of the same guests. So, like, the amount of times where it's just like, oh, you spoke to this person, we heard that conversation, well, we'd love you to talk to this person. It's like, I, I really want to, but also, like, the, the book reading itself, like, ha- do you, do you read every book i mean this might be a secret but do you read every book of the people who come on your show or is is that impossible because there's so many people you speak with uh
1: yes i read every book um if it's a novel if it's fiction i have to read the whole thing because Mm. um and and, you know it's kind of ironic i have to read the whole thing but i can't talk about the whole thing you can't talk about the endings but to really understand fiction you have to read the entire thing um i'd say Three-quarters of the time for a nonfiction book, I read the whole thing. But if I have a lot on there, then what I'll do is I'll read as much of it as I can, and well more than 50%, and the ending. (laughs) So (laughs) sometimes I'll cheat that way. There was one time many, many years ago when um, I had forgotten that I had an interview scheduled. And it was like one of those things, you know, you, you you forget that you had that math test, so you didn't study for it. And I realized two hours beforehand that I had to talk to this guy. And I wasn't yet comfortable really in saying, uh, which which I have occasionally. I've I've told people that I just ran out of time and I want to read the book and can we reschedule. So I didn't do that. I read every review of his book <laughs> on the web in those two hours. And it actually was a terrific interview, you know, because I had gotten a sense of what it was about. And there was also, I mean, I think my interviews are spontaneous. Anyway, even if I prepare the questions beforehand, there's a kind of natural arc to an interview so that, you know, I'll change the order or I'll go down different pathways and then maybe get back, you know, my, my questions are always a guide to me. But the interview with him was, was so off the cuff that it had an even extra element, I think, of that spontaneity. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's okay. I, I don't think it's okay in general to, um, to book an author and not to read their book because I, I think it's disrespectful. And they, mm-hmm. they know it most of the time. Yeah. If you really haven't read the book, they're aware and they don't like that.
0: No, exactly. and Because one of the authors I spoke to, most of the time, you either get a PDF version of the book itself or you get – sometimes I get um, like a media sampler and it says, you know, here's the important portions of the book. If you want the whole thing, you can have this, but the author's fine with you not reading the entirety, which is quite thankful for me because I have <clears> – <throat> several of the authors I've had on, I have read – Um, their books i don't think i've managed to finish them because i'm quite a slow reader and things but i do you know make an active effort but that's one of the reasons why i can't say yes to everyone because like i don't want to have so many authors on not really know what they're you know reading blurbs and things like that can get you so far in certain ways but it's like if you're going to have constant people it does it, it cheapens it a little bit because you want to you want to know a bit more it's like if i have bands on they'll often send me music sort of beforehand so I kind of know what it is before it's released and things so it is that sort of thing and it it makes the conversation a bit more fruitful you can see when authors and anyone creating anything that they get so passionate when they know you've read it they know you've heard it they know that part and th- one of the reasons I started my show was because I love uh the passion in people's eyes when you speak to someone and they get excited about what they're talking about and I'm sure you get that with authors all the time oh
1: I do and, and what is interesting is you know sometimes I'll have authors who you know they start out the interview kind of um, let's say not that engaged, um, mm. you know, because they just expect me to not have read the book and to be asked the same old questions that were in the press package, wh- which I, I tend to not do, you know, I mean, I like it if they have questions, you know, cause I'll look them over and sometimes they'll be good ones. But um, so so they'll start off that way. But within five minutes, they realize I have read the book (laughs) and then the passion comes on. And, you know, I most of the time, I can't tell you how many times at the end they say this was fun, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can tell that, yeah, it was fun because they got to really engage with somebody who engaged with their book. And and that's what it's about. And why would I do this if I didn't want to do this? You know, it's it's not as if I'm getting oodles of money from this by any means, you know. <laughs>
0: No, exactly. I mean, because I I spoke with um, one of my favorite interviews ever was with an author, actually. Her name is Claudia Gray, and she's um, been writing recently. She's done non-Star Wars things, but she's written quite a few Star Wars novels, which is how I first heard of her. And so what I did specifically, and this is what I do with a lot of my guests, is that if a guest is a podcaster, I listen to their podcast. If there's someone who isn't a podcaster... I'll check for other interviews they've done, and because quite often you find that, as, as you kind of allude to, they get a press packet. There's like five or six questions you ask them. They give the same answer each time, and it's every like five interviews are the same. Whereas what I try and do is I listen to the other com- other conversations and I try and write down things that I would have wanted the person to ask that they didn't, and then I, I kind of cross reference it. It depends how much time I have and how invested I am with the individual I'm speaking with. But Claudia Gray, I was like, oh my god, it's still one of my favourite interviews ever. And I said to her at the start, I said, I just want to clarify. I've heard you talk about how you got the Star Wars book deal, how you got into Star Wars. I've heard that probably about 20 times just myself. So I'm not going to ask you those questions and I'm going to say at the start, people can go to listen to any other interview to hear that because I've got these other interview questions I want to ask. And when it all finished and stuff, she said specifically, she was like, I, I just want to thank you because it's really, really refreshing doing a, you know an interview and not having just to say the same 10 answers over and over again. So obviously you are in that same sort of boat as well.
1: Right. So you're really interested in, in uh, also... Are you interested in the kind of comic book universe?
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I love comic books and things. They've always got
1: so, <laughs> some I have to around tell you, This is a funny thing, too. Just this past week, I interviewed Jacob Illich, who was the first black editor he's a he's a editor and writer of comic books um i mean he's a huge name he was the first black editor for dc marvel comics on the batman Mm -hmm. series
0: oh wow and uh i mean he's he's
1: uh i mean he's, he's huge and i had no idea because i actually know him through a friend um and she said oh you ought to interview my boyfriend you know he he writes about you know black superheroes like including black panther you know Mm -hmm. i mean he works you know he worked from um I, i don't know if he still does i think he still does work for dc and marvel comics and uh he's just uh you know, he's like one of the big kahunas in the field, but I didn't know that. And and so it was just like a few days before the interview, I started to to research him and his work because I was going to talk in general. I didn't have a book to read in particular. And it was so interesting. Uh, he he was really responsible. Let's see, what was it? He, he got his start in the first black comic book publishing house um, Mm. in in the United States here. Then, as I say, he worked for uh, DC Marvel Comics. Um, Now he does a a huge number of things. He also writes. He has a column. But his whole perspective on uh, bringing diversity to the comic book arena, not just racial diversity, but also, I mean, he's had heroes, superheroes who are disabled, certainly women. Um, he's published, I guess he, he's part of a, of a of a publishing house that publishes hmm. other people's comic books as well. You know, gay, black, gay superheroes. <laughs> it was such an interesting conversation.
0: It is incredible. And when you meet those kind of individuals who are sort of uh, almost pioneers in the field, some of the people who've done these sort of things, you just have like incredible respect for people to be, one of the first people to do that sort of thing because with all of the prejudice and bigotry and things in the world, doing that sort of thing can for lack of a better word, put a target on your back. And it can be, for some people, dangerous, obviously, not to delve into a huge political discussion, but obviously with the whole Charlie Hebdo stuff, and it's Mm -hmm. slightly different. But that whole thing was like, you know, all the political things. I mean, that's probably the most extreme example, but that sort of thing can happen. You get people who uh, release, you know, superhero comics or non-superhero comics, and they get horrible contact and all kinds of things. So it's just, when you meet someone like that, not only the amount of people whose life they've influenced for the good, but also just the personal risk that they must take for that that sort of aspect.
1: Well, it's so interesting you say that because he said the number one thing that he feels that needs, that the comic book industry needs to do is to deal with online harassment. Hmm. I mean, think about that. The number one thing that needs to change is they, is that they, they need to not just allow it to happen, but to do an active campaign uh, against it and to find ways to make sure that people don't do that. I mean, it gave me a sense of the fear mm-hmm. that many people in that writers in that space, and boy, especially writers of color, women, gay writers, because the harassment is really coming from a white male supremacist, mm-hmm. uh, you know, point of view.
0: Yeah, it, it is atrocious. And it's like, um, you know, Star Wars is one of my favorite things in the world. But there's so many people involved with Star Wars who just get so much hate. Like, Star Wars is one of my favorite things. But it has one of the worst fandoms there are. Because majority of people are fine. But even because something is so global and so massive, even if you've got 1% of people who are just awful, you get people like um, uh, the – person who played uh Rose Tuco in the two last films, uh Kelly I should have read uh Kelly Ann Trans, I think her name is. Uh Kelly Ann Tran or something, she she's amazing, but she um she went off Twitter because she was getting harassed by people of just them because they hated her character and she's an an Asian person, so, you know, there's that representation there, which is really good for, you know, young Asian women and people who want that sort of, you know, a role model or something to look at, especially in something like Styles who looks like them. And people were like until I started podcasting, I didn't fully realize the importance of it. it. was because of you know my own white privilege, and it's I'm a you know British millennial in England. I don't get, you don't get much more high on the white privilege ladder than that. And it's when I started speaking with people, thinking about how you know when I was younger, I could watch almost anything because everyone, or well not everyone, but a lot of people looked like me, so it was easy to choose role models. But with individuals of like people of color or uh, people in the LGBTQ plus community, anything like that they don't have that. So when you have uh, people creating content for that kind of audience, I think that a lot of individuals who don't fall in those brackets undervalue how important it is. And I myself am guilty of that until recent years when I've spoken to people about how important representation can be because I've taken it for granted for so long.
1: Yes. You know, and another very interesting point uh, uh, in this interview uh, and what you just said made me think about it is that I asked Joseph, Joseph, not Jacob, Joseph Illich, how can I, uh, so let me correct that. Um, This was Joseph Illich. Uh, I asked him, I said, so, you know, why, you know, what is, aside from that diversity is a good thing, you know, really, why is it a good thing? Why is it an important thing for you? And he said, because it's about egalitarianism, Mm -hmm. you know, it's about we need to all realize that we are all equal, Mm-hmm. You know, and it, in a way, it surprised me because what he, in other words, what he was saying was that representation is necessary for universalism, for universalization, for the fa- for everybody. In other we all have a stake in this, um, and I just really love that message. You know, he wasn't saying it's because we're more important than others. Of course, he wouldn't say that, but the but the idea that we have to all respect each other or we can't really you know how how are we going to thrive on this planet if we don't all respect each other
0: no exactly and sort of bouncing off that but taking a slight uh tangent is uh with the amount of books that you must read and the amount of individuals that you speak with like i, I mentioned off air that i listened to your episode with it was dr carl hart who's one of my personal heroes but also it was um harry harry ziad i think his name was yeah. I mean, what an inspirational individual he was as well, of just, you know, growing up, you know, black and gay and also with the sort of religion all behind it and things. You must find that you speak to such a wide berth of individuals. Like when one thinks of an author, I think without, if you just think about it for a second, you don't think about how deep that is. It's really anyone could be an author. And so, with that, do you find that you are. Drawn to more like, are you drawn to more fiction things? Are you drawn to non-fiction? Is, is there sort of a thing that you're more drawn to? Are you kind of jack of all trades? You just love reading.
1: Well, I love reading. It's not the fiction versus non-fiction. Um, I want, I, I want to have thoughtful conversations. um I'm drawn to things that, of course, I'm interested in, and sometimes I think that I should. You know, expand our our mutual friend Tonya Todd said, "How come you haven't had anybody any romance authors?" You know, and I and I tend to so so I have yeah, I haven't I admit I haven't. That doesn't mean I won't. But I have a certain prejudiced view in a way to think, oh, I wouldn't be interested in that. And of course, that's not true. I mean, Aeneas zinn was uh, Aeneas Nin was really. Uh, you know, I mean, she was an, er- an erotic author, an author of erotica, and, of course, she was very thoughtful. Uh, Stacey Abrams, who is one of the leading lights of the Democratic Party in this country, is also a romance fiction writer. Uh, and if I could get her on the show, that would be great. But, um, yeah, it's it's more the idea, I I want this to be thoughtful, Um so, for example, if I'll do a comic book writer, you know, um, well, I've had, uh, he wrote Mouse, M A U S, Art Spiegelman, you know, he mm-hmm. wrote uh, this whole series really about the Holocaust. So that's a really interesting comic for me. Or I'd really liked, I for a long time, I've wanted to interview Joe Sacco. Who also does uh, comic books. There's a new graphic novel here about, um, that's just come out Montauk Fisherman. Mm. I live near Montauk, uh, in Long Island, and it's actually a pretty controversial book locally. So I would like to do that. So, and just did a thing on superheroes, of course, but from the perspective of someone who's, you know, uh, brings diversity. Mm-hmm. to the superhero universe. So so I'm always looking for something that's going to drive the conversation deeper. That's really that that's really my my guide.
0: Mm. And do you find that with obviously your conversations can are usually up to sort of 30 minutes or so because obviously the way that your show is formatted. Do you often find that you wish you could talk to the certain people for for much longer and things?
1: yes and i do and that's where the podcast comes in actually because um for broadcast i have to keep it um it's a 59 minute show exactly it cannot mm. be any longer or shorter than 59 minutes so if i go over then i'll just say at the end to listen to the entire interview go to writers, net. so you can you, you if you uh subscribe to the podcast you're getting the full interview. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm curious with you though, you said you do part one and part two and you have a weekly show, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I do. So is that a little tricky? I mean, do people remember from one week to the next?
0: I find that people, it it depends on the conversation. I find that there's a sweet spot. Some of my conversations I've had have gone for like two and a half hours. And yeah, so... um, and normally that just I have to stop it because it gets so late with me. The guests are normally quite tired by the end of it. Um, but it does depend because if it's about an an hour, maybe up to an hour 20, it will just be in one release. That's fine. But I have had conversations that are, say, an hour 25, but it depends where in the conversation. So for there's certain people I've spoken with and it's one subject for the entire time and it doesn't really matter where you cut. But a lot of the time I find that if you speak with someone for an extended period of time – the conversation subject matter changes quite a lot and I've actually had it before where I've released um, episodes of podcasts and I haven't called them part one and part two because the conversation matter is so different in the second half Okay. i I had one which was like part one was like you know superhero conversation, and then part two was something like completely different, like world travel or something and so in those scenarios, it makes it easier. But from my audience and people who have spoken to me about it what you, what people often do is if they want to hear it and they can they can wait often people will wait for part two to come out and then just listen to it side by side. When I edit it as well, I, I stipulate at the start, you know, listen to part one, the vague, if you don't want to listen to part one, we spoke about this and this. And usually it's fine, but sometimes I do sort of make it so the last five minutes of part one is in both parts, just so it kind of gives some context oh, to it.
1: good idea.
0: Yeah, it, it does depend. And I do, when I listen to it, I do split them Specifically, I don't just go, it's an hour long split, half an hour. You know, I, I try and make sure it, it splits okay, but I do have a Patreon now, which is where I release them full and unsplit and things, which is where some of my fans who literally can't wait <laughs> literally just go on there and they can listen to it in its entirety. But there are some times where I've had one or two conversations and I'm like, I don't specifically want to have to split this so sometimes i do release it in like one big special and just be like there wasn't a good place to stop this um i've got a conversation actually recorded with a gentleman named michael mccormick and he did the puppet work for or some of the puppet work for dark crystal and labyrinth the two jim henson movies wow yeah he was incredible he was such a nice gentleman he he was so enthusiastic and he showed me and i spoke with him over skype and he showed me some of the puppets. He showed me like Punch and Judy puppets and they originated in England quite a lot. So I'm so used to going down to Weymouth, which is near me and seeing Punch and Judy. One of my early memories when I was a kid is seeing Punch and Judy. And he showed me some of the punchings and he makes them and stuff as well. It's incredible. And so that one, because I've, all of the video gets recorded, but I don't use it. You know, I, I don't, because most people don't want it. And also I I don't have time to edit all that stuff as well. Because I used to do music video editing and editing with YouTube and stuff and video editing, just triples the amount of time it takes but with him i'm going to releasing in one big go and i'm releasing the video on youtube because he shows me some of the puppets that we used so it is kind of playing it by ear in some ways as well um, on the conversation matter i've had ones which are more serious conversations and i'll often release them in one go because i feel like splitting it is it does ruin the flow somewhat but the way the reason i did it to begin with was because you know recording an episode every week It is tiring at some point. And when I first started, it was more, I don't know how I'm going to get all these guests on. So I'll just have long conversations, split them. Now it's like I've got so many guests who want to come on the show, which is lovely. And so many people I want to contact. It's great, but it is in part for me editing wise as well. It makes it a little bit easier for me um, to edit in things because it is just some of the conversations when it's two and a half hours long, trying to edit that and get everything out. Splitting is just yeah it's it's a bit of a cheat in in some ways uh, i must say but it is it does work out a lot i have asked people before you know people i'm either friends with or other fans i'm like does, does this bother you and no one says it does so i fingers crossed <laughs> i'm doing something right
1: well the other thing is i noticed that you have very good detailed show notes mm. um so you know if you're just doing a podcast i'm doing both broadcast and podcast so that that's been an idea. But I, I I think so I think it wouldn't be a bad idea sometimes to do part one and part two. Well, we'll see, you know, I have done that I produce a different i show a local show called uh Sustainable East End. And now we've gotten a new person on hmm. uh who who lives up island in Long Island. So we're gonna start calling it Sustainable Long Island. Uh. And I did the an interview recently. It was just so interesting. I did a walk around interview with uh a landscaper here, a landscape designer who's internationally known. She was a landscape designer for Martha Stewart. Oh, wow. Her name is Edwina van Gaal, and she is uh, has an incredible spread just down the street from me where she tries out a lot of her ideas. There's no pesticides at all, and she has a new initiative called Two-Thirds for the Birds, which is about planting two-thirds native plants for every one-third of exotics. Mm. And we have a big deer problem here, too. So uh, she has also planted a lot of deer, she claims, deer-proof plants. And so, uh, you know, we really talked about both and went on for about an hour. And it's really only a half an hour show. Mm -hmm. So we are going to do part one and part two. And I'm doing kind of what you did. I'm just going to edit out. I edited out all the parts that had to do with one. I separated them. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of strung it together
0: yeah and it can work like for example this week so as of recording this um it's the 8th of june so a friend of mine he's got a a pop punk band and we chatted me him and the singer for just under two hours and they are releasing the ep like this friday so in a few days time of us recording this and so i released part one last week and said they've got an ep coming out soon and when part two drops the ep will be out so with that sort of thing it can work quite with promotional stuff i've done it with i've done it with an author before i've spoken to quite a few authors but i've done that as well where part one is like talking generally about the book and inspiration who the person is then the book can come out and then part two Mm. gets released and it's like that's a bit more in depth about the characters and things like that so it is kind of i do compartmentalize things quite a lot so that probably that probably helps and things i do book reviews on my um of star wars books on my other podcast as well and i split them into three tiers so i do part one is just you know blurb information and just stuff that came out uh in general release you can just find online part two is like my thoughts a little bit more on things and then part three is more detailed into certain characters and maybe spoiler territory and i found that people really like that aspect as well because if people want to listen to a book review sometimes they're a bit apprehensive because you know you can listen to a book review and can get the whole book spoiled. So I've found that some people just listen to the first third and then they go read the book, listen to the rest. So splitting, it can work. Um, it, it depends on the show itself. I think if I if I split an hour long show, I think people get a little bit annoyed because then it's I could just release that in one. Uh, but it works. And it's also the good thing with podcasting I found is that at least from my experience and some of my uh, friends who are also podcasters, audiences are generally quite forgiving, especially when you're not explicitly charging them for something you know when we pretty much all podcasters do it for free it's like well you're getting this for free it's the fact that you're getting part one and then part two for free at all is is, is good in that way like not to you know what i mean like not, not to be a douche about it but it's that sort of element mm, that's so interesting yeah i mean but it, it's with your show like i find that when listening because obviously i listen uh to it via podcasting and things uh, via podcast apps and whatnot and i find that you have a very very good radio voice and it's i i can tell because obviously i've spoken to you outside of it but you're you're incredibly well spoken and it's even more so when you you do the radio voice do you notice yourself doing that out of interest
1: Uh, i think that is really entirely up to my mic (laughs) 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 although i mean people it's so interesting because my voice has changed over the years you know i have tape recordings of myself when i was much younger and I, I even had uh, back in my early 40s or, or mid 40s, I think somebody told me. Well, now I'm giving away my my age a bit, but somebody told me, "Oh, I don't like your voice. Your voice." And she didn't want to be around me because she didn't like my oh. voice. And I thought, "Oh my God, you know, how can I? First of all, what a terrible thing because I can't change my voice." And My voice has really, has really changed. When I was younger, uh, you could tell the insecurity that I had, you know? And as I got older and more seasoned as a human being, um, that really changed. Uh, and, and then I don't know, I, I got to have a good radio voice, but a mic does really help. I mean, having a good mic makes, and some mics make you sound better than others. And, and it depends on who you are, you know? You could sound different on one kind of mic than I do on mine. I mean, I tend to really like Mm. Audio-Technica. They're they're very nice for my voice. Mm. Other people for Rode or, you know, Shure or (laughs) something like that.
0: There are a lot of different ones. And I found, uh, and I'd be interested to hear your perspective on this. Do you think that since you've, especially because you've been doing it for a while, been basically having to listen to your own recordings, that you've, the way you speak has changed since you started your show. Because I found that, especially in the early days, I used to say, um, a lot. Now I do occasionally still say, um, it depends who I'm speaking with and, you know, what generally the conversation is, but I've, because I edit my own show and I it, I generally don't edit out ums very often because most of the time it just, it's normal people talking and things. But there is the odd occasion where either there's a guest or myself who says, um, a lot. And I'll edit a few of those out, but because... I'm editing and I'm listening to my own voice, I notice myself, and i I remember about two years ago, I was like, I say um too frequently. I need to try and not say um when I'm thinking. I just need to take a pause sometimes or speak a little bit slower while I'm figuring out where the sentence is gonna go. So do you find that you've sort of done something similar to that?
1: Yeah, I've gotten better at it, but it's one of the reasons I I pre-tape because I do like to edit, um, and and not just for myself. I mean, sometimes I want to say things over again, and I also allow my guests to say things over again, say it a little bit better. Um, <laughs> there, I just say, um, <laughs> and I'll edit out some of the ums, but not all of the ums. I never edit out breaths, and I always notice when other other uh, podcasts edit out the breaths. I think my God, how can you do that? You know, they're, they just sound so rushed. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I do have guests who will do a lot of umming and eyeing, and it just means that it it cuts into the conversation, and it's hard to listen to, harder mm-hmm. to listen to. So I'll make it natural, but I will trim it a bit. But, yes, over time, I think what's changed more has been my – narrative sense, I have a kind of instinct when it's the right time to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and often it feels as if there's been a narrative arc from the beginning to the middle, and then finally at the end where everything gets summed up. And it, it's something that feels instinctual, but is the result of thousands of hours of
0: practice. Hmm, it's good way of putting it. Yeah, because I I found that. I mean, myself, I when I go back and listen to older podcasts that I do, which I don't I don't do very frequently. I don't very often listen to my own podcast because obviously after being in it and then writing or, or editing it and then writing the show notes while I'm editing it and all that sort of stuff, I normally listen to the whole conversation two or three times anyway. There's been the odd one where I've it's been so interesting and the guests have spoken so much, I'm just like I want to hear this again. But I listen to some of my old podcasts and it's embarrassing because I have a guest on and I spend so much time talking instead of letting them talk. And most, almost all my early interviews, the first 50 or so, I think, were basically people I knew. So they're friends. And the problem is is that my, my friends know I'm a talker. So they will let me talk and they won't often interrupt me. So I'll just go off on one for ages and I'll realize the last 10 minutes I've just been rattling on when I'm meant to be having a guest on. So I've tried, as I've gotten older, to consciously not speak as much because i can't remember who said this it's some sort of vague maybe it's a vaguely famous quote or just something people always say but it's like to be a good conversationalist only half of it is you speaking the other half is you listening
1: or even less exactly lots less i mean now i learned interviewing uh i'd say in two ways first of all my greatest inspiration is uh, a veteran uh, national public radio in our in our country npr anchor named bob edwards who was shamefully fired after decades on air because he wasn't young enough mm. um he was just the best interviewer and his questions were often just a word or a few words or a few phrases not even necessarily full sentences or even if they were it was just one sentence and he really gave the room to the person, you know, to the interlocutor to go wherever they wanted to go. And I, to me, that is the fundamentally most important thing about interviewing is is giving giving the space to the other and doing it in a way, open-ended questions, of course. And then I have to say that the other way I learned is that for 10 years, I was a clinical social worker. And for about four of those years, I worked for an emergency services place where I was being sent off to the hospital to evaluate people to see if they were a danger to themselves or others. They'd be taken in by the police because they were having some kind of a meltdown. And I had to assess within, you know, what, half an hour or less whether they truly were a danger to themselves or others or what kinds of services did they need and could they go home and i really learned to listen because you have to to really suss out what's going on you have to not only hear the words but you have to hear what's behind the words mm. and in order to do that you can't impose yourself so i think to me that that's the secret to that's the secret to my sauce as an interviewer but I mean, you and I right now, we're both podcasters, so we're having more of an exchange, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I think that's okay too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It is, I find it is also, I've, I've been complimented on, on my hosting before, which I'm very thankful for because, you know, this is one of my biggest passions in the world. So b- being the fact that I've had people who didn't know me prior to podcasting who say, like I've had guests on my show who say, you know, thank you for coming on the show. I listened to this conversation you had with this person and I've been complimented on recently that when someone speaks, you let them come to the finish that they want to come to, but you also have to, you have to know when someone's drowning in their own words a little bit because there's certain people I've had on who are incredible people to listen to, but when they speak, about 98% of it is gold, but they won't stop themselves in time. They'll just kind of Trail to a halt, and you have to try and. I I think I'm all right at doing it now. You have to try and tactfully know when they want you to save them, but also there are certain guests who pause between words and wait to think and think a moment before saying the next part. And you also have to know when you do that, because the worst thing is when you go to say something and you kind of interrupt them, and then it breaks the flow. And once again, in the early days of me doing this, I I did do that because it would be that kind of thing of I've got these ten questions, I want to ask these questions, I need to get them in. Whereas now it's more like as you kind of said at the start, the questions are of a, a guide. I write down notes. I normally most most conversations I have with people, I don't even tackle half of the footnotes I have because I just start with one or two questions, kind of let it go, and then I, I ask the questions that I want the answer to in that moment, as opposed to what I wrote down hours or days ago. If you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. No, absolutely, I agree with you one hundred percent. There, there are times when you really have to step in and. Um and interrupt somebody and other times when your impulse to fill the space is just the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, and I find myself having to be aware of that, you know, it isn't like, um, I mean, there are many times in which I, where I do that. And, you know, for me, it's more, I'll write more questions just because it is about a book generally or about a movie. So I know I want to hit, the the points that I think that the author wrote the book or the filmmaker made the movie about. Uh, but it can be more spontaneous. You know, I just think the kind of eclectic um, I- subjects that you get to cover, you know, really lend themselves to the spontaneity that you're talking about there. You know, kind of get them started and then they're all wound up and then they can go. And, <laughs> and, and then you become part of the flow.
0: Yeah, it is interesting. I had um, – there was a gentleman I had on called uh, John Vespasian, I think his name was. And I remember speaking to him and he was – it was a really good interview. And anyone who's listening, I recommend you check that out. He's, he had some incredible things to say, but he was probably the the top guest I've had where I probably didn't even have to be there. If Not in a bad way, but it was just like he was so ready to go. And he was – probably because he'd done quite a few interviews and things, but it wasn't the case of just like, here's a – it didn't sound like it was just a cookie cutter answer. He had a full in-depth thing. And then even if my question, because I listened to other interviews he did as well, the question I asked him, even if one word was different, his answer would then be different. And he would be able to talk for like 10, 15 minutes. And it was delightful because, you know, as much as I enjoy being a host, there are certain guests uh, people have, um, which I've had on, who are a little bit more nervous and things, and they need a bit more of a hand. And that's completely fine. Different guests, different people are more confident in some ways. But certain guests, you ask a question, they'll answer the question. That's the end of it. Whereas other guests, you can ask them, and they they will just go off by themselves. And neither is necessarily better as a host to to be involved with. But sometimes it is. You have to kind of be somewhat aware, and it does depend on the guest as well. Because obviously, when you speak to authors, nine times out of ten, you know they are actively trying to promote what they're what they're making, you know, and things like that. Whereas with some of the guests I've had, who I want to speak with because I, I just want to have their input, they don't go on loads of interviews, and some of those people they can be a bit more sort of introverted. But I think a lot of the time, as you said earlier as well, is that the first five, ten minutes of any conversation can often be um, maybe a bit slower in some ways. But once people get in the rhythm and they're more comfortable in things, that's when people start to kind of free flow in the conversation.
1: That's true. That's true. Yes. Um, You know, what's interesting about writer's voice is something you said about it is something I've heard a lot that I asked the questions that you wanted to be asked. And to me, I think that's the highest praise. You know, I mean, I ask the questions that I want <laughs> to know the answers to, um, but I'm also aware uh, that other people need to know. And, and for example, there may be things I need to fill in the, the knowledge for the listener, you know, the author will refer to something and i am always got an ear out for something that I think maybe not everybody in the audience may know. So I'll find a way to fold in the answer to it or even just to ask, you know, uh, you know, what is that? Hmm. Uh, and have the author explain. Or just to save time, I may just, if it's a, not that important, I'll just say, oh, yes, yeah, so-and-so, who was X, Y, Z, you know, if they've mentioned somebody. So that on the one hand, you're asking what you're truly interested in Of course. And on the other hand, you're always thinking about the audience that's out there and what, you know, are there any gaps that you need to fill so that they can truly enjoy the conversation instead of sit there wondering, like, well, what are they talking about?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is it. And especially when… When you're very familiar with the guest's work, um, like I mentioned Claudia Gray earlier with, with her, like I, I listened to so many interviews with her. I'd read all her styles books. I, I knew it inside out because I was so passionate about speaking with her. And it, normally with my show, I, I do an intro and an outro and I usually use that space. If within the conversation I haven't um, brought it up naturally, I will then say, by the way, X, Y, Z before you get started. But in amidst the conversation, it is important to do that uh, a lot of the time. Especially because, yeah, as you say, I think one of the things that I found with interviewers, um, or rather, when you have a podcast and you've got, you know, really famous people, you know, when you've got two celebrities, and they're talking to each other, and because they know each other so well, sometimes they'll be talking about something, and the thing they're talking about won't explicitly be said. And you're there thinking, you listen to it for 15 minutes and it's like, I still don't know what they're really talking about. And I found that with friends of mine especially, where it's like, you know, you have to give the groundwork because it's like a blind spot, isn't it? It's like a blind spot of information.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, not everybody, (laughs) not everybody has been on the inside track there. So, you have to let them know.
0: No, exactly. With your show as well, I I think that with the question of, you know, asking people the right questions, I think that you do it so I think you do it so well because not only do you ask the questions that, you know, when I've been listening and things, I I think, oh, I really want to know this. And then normally the second I think that, you ask the next question. But there's also questions that you ask that I didn't consider, but then the question is is excellent. So have you found that since the early days of your podcasting, has that been a conscious thing of the, the sort of questions or is that more of a natural progression?
1: Uh, actually, since the early days, I've noticed um, that authors often will say, that's a good question. Yeah, <laughs> in the beginning, I was so flattered by that. that I thought, oh, they think that's a good question. And then <laughs> a couple of years in, I realized that's the filler phrase when they're trying to figure out how to answer your question. <laughs> 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 But, you know, usually it is a good question because it means that they do have to think a little a little bit more than they're just used to. It's not just rolling off their tongue.
0: Oh, exactly. And um, so we're getting towards the hour mark here, but it's been lovely speaking with you. But I do, I do want to ask, aside from your podcast and writing, what sort of other things do you – do you like doing? Because obviously, listen to writer's voice. You can hear a lot of the cool things that you get to discuss with people and whatnot. But I'm intrigued as to what what else you do out of interest, aside from reading a million books a day <laughs> uh slight exaggeration—but yeah, aside from that aspect, does out have interest? If you want to tell the people what else do you do out of interest?
1: Well, I have been all my life since I'd say even the age of twelve. I've been engaged in trying to create more justice in this world, and now. Um, it seems it's ever more democracy is ever more threatened so and climate threatens the 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 future and the present of people i care very much about like my granddaughter you know i personalize it to her but i feel the same you know just all the beings that we share this planet with the very notion that just a few very incredibly wealthy, powerful people can destroy everything for all of us and all that we have created over the millennia and all that has been created over the millions of millennia just really bothers me. So I feel that I have to be part of that. And so I do engage. I'm involved with both very locally and statewide and nationally groups fighting for uh, a healthier, you know, fighting climate change and and for fundamentally a more just world because we could have the most beautiful world we could cooperate with each other and all respect each other and we could create such joy for everyone it's certainly possible. And we have the most amazing gift in the universe, this incredible planet of such beauty and variety that really, why don't we just all pull together and make it good for everyone? So that's what really um, passionately drives me. And um, then on the other hand, I'm really, really interested in bringing back native plants. So I'm doing a lot of gardening these days with native plants.
0: I mean that's amazing. It's, it's one of those things with. I mean, you are you mentioned the word slightly, but I just want to say you are a national treasure because it's just you. You seem to be hitting all the right notes of just what what I find to be important in an individual, and I just think that because of you know your podcast and mixed obviously with your your radio station podcast sort of thing, as well as all of the other things that you're doing, it's just that you seem to be a very conscious and very self aware individual, and you value people, and I think that 's one of the most underrated traits of today and I know i 'm not the most well experienced individual of the world, but I 've just found that if you meet someone who values people, they always have the right you know moral codes, they always have the you can just feel it when you speak with them, and you get the sort of the positivity that one needs to kind of push through things while not ignoring the negative. And so do you would you say that you have a general more of a positive outlook on on life when you try and do your day-to-day?
1: I have a vision. And it's it's what I really wrote my book about, the one I'm trying to publish now, which you know, my working title is Province of the Heart. It's about values, the values that we, we need to to share to to create that other world that's so totally possible. Um so I have a positive values, but I have to say I feel a lot of despair about the direction that I see things going because I feel we have fallen as a species and certainly as a culture so out of right relationship, not just with other human beings, but with all other living beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and how can we survive? Literally, how can we survive with the incredible powers and technology that we have if we're not in right relationship with all life? And uh, so I hope very much The Province of the Heart will be published, but even if it's not, I mean, I'm only one of millions upon millions of people who do feel this way, and I am encouraged to talk to someone like you um, and Tanya, who brought us together so many people who do really share this vision and and we we just have to make sure that that we keep on envisioning it so that it becomes a reality
0: i mean that's beautifully put i couldn't agree with you more it is you know it starts at the individual level and you build it and it becomes the community and it becomes the nation and it goes from there and i think that i'm i'm always torn on my own perception of what the future will hold i think i hope Humanity as a whole, will realize this and will do what's best, but it is very clear it could go the other way, which is incredibly upsetting to know uh of that sort of thing so i, I sympathize with you with the the despair part because it is that sort of the dissonance in my own head I, when one i I say this quite often, which is um I have faith in persons but not people in the sense of if you meet people at an individual level a lot of the time everything's fine but once you get the group mentality if it is tainted by uh a vocal minority who don't have the best interest at heart that can just taint the whole uh connection of things and i think in america and in the uk as well and across the world uh both western eastern world wherever you want to look there are unfortunately aspects like that but i think that people such as yourself the show writer's voice and a lot of the subject matter that you tackle is so important you know when you speak with these individuals uh like the, the conversation i uh, mentioned before with um harry zayad it, the the importance of conversations like that i think is just so undervalued so i want to personally thank you for the positivity and not just the pure positivity but the the realism that you bring to the world of saying you know things aren't always great things can suck a lot but If we pull together, we have these thoughtful conversations and we try as a species, we can prevail, but we have to actually band together in that way. So I think that your show, although it is a show that on the surface is just about sort of books and authors and things, I think that the reason that your show has is so successful and has lasted so long and why I think it's so brilliant is that the thoughtfulness connected with that just comes together to make such a important show so I want to thank you for that
1: well thank you and I just want to say one thing which is I don't think it's about people in aggregate because people in aggregate can be amazing also I think it's about the systems that we have allowed to take over our lives Mm -hmm. Uh, you know when you have a system a global system that is really privileges some very few people and companies and their short-term profits over everything. And that sounds like, you know, ideology or can't. but no, that's actually how it works. They disenfranchise everyone else. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to have that. One thing when you really look at history, you realize that human beings have lived in or have organized themselves in many, many different ways. Um, you know, I read, uh, I'm reading Neal Stephenson's, and this is, you know, this is the last thing I'll say, but I think this is so interesting. Neal Stephenson, uh, no, not not Neal Stephenson, the other great science fiction writer. He, Ministry of the Future is the name of the novel, and why am I forgetting the author? Um, it's about climate change, and he says in there, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism.
0: Uh, Is it Kim uh, Stanley Robinson? Kim Stanley
1: Robinson. Kim Stanley Robinson. And that's it in a nutshell. Let's make it easier to imagine the continuation of the world and the end of capitalism. And I don't mean private property and all that. Of course, we continue to have that. But let's imagine a system in which we all work together for the nurturing of everything <laughs> so that we can survive and thrive into the future. That's all I wanted to, to, to say. Because when you make it people, you make it so abstract that you feel you can't do anything about it.
0: That's a very good point.
1: Yeah. And thank you. Thank, thank you so much. I mean, what a, what an amazing way that you have. Of bringing that kind of conversation uh to life and to light i i and just and I love that you also are able to do that. I really feel that we're comrades in arms in this
0: i do i i genuinely and I think that you are you are like the beacon of the sort of well, listening to your podcast inspires me for my podcast to be better because it is just it, it's it's fantastic and you can see why it has such a following and the people that you manage to speak to and things and why it's been going for so long that, that that's not by mistake It's you are a passionate individual you learn and you want the best for people and that comes out in your show and so i, I really as one of the reasons i was excited to have you on the show because even though it's your show has been going for longer and has a wider audience. If I can get any of my listeners to check out your show and get your show raised up even further, then that would make me happy because it's just, I want people to see the brilliance in the writer's voice and in yourself. So thank you. And before we hang up this, uh, final thoughts, you, you can say anything you want and right at the very end, add in sort of where people can find you. I'll include links in the show notes to all the normal places, but your absolute final comments, the floor is yours, Francesca.
1: Well, keep the conversation going and make sure that it is as deep as you need it to be. Um, that would be my final thing to say. And you can find Writer's Voice at writersvoice.net. Um, and let's see. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty it. That'll have all the links necessary to various things. Um, and if you want to check out my writing for uh, Province of the Heart, you can go to com. I have some chapters up there from that and other writings that I've done. Um, and thank you so much, Mike, for, for having me on here. It's, it's been a pleasure to talk with you
0: it has genuinely been a delight and you are always welcome on the show as well genuinely if whether or not your book ever gets published if it does then you have to come on the show okay that's i'm not even asking now i'm telling you uh and then we could do a writer's voice flip that would be quite interesting you talk about your novel um but even if that doesn't happen you know the door is always open for any conversation if you just fancy having a conversation about something or you want to say something to the world uh just hit me up and you can always come on my show because it's it's been an absolute delight to speak with you. And I'm sure this will be the – not quite the start because we already had a start of our connection. But for the years to come, you know, the, the door is always open for you and writer's voice.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And likewise, you have to come on my show as well.
0: I would love to. We can sort that out, no doubt at all.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. Make sure you check out the Writer's Voice podcast wherever you listen to this show or just check out the website, writersvoice.net to check out all the things that Francesca is up to. And I just want to personally say I really recommend the episode with Dr. Carl Hart. Uh, That was released on the 13th of May. So go check out that episode if you want a place to start so my friends what have we got coming up well I will say that last week was quite a big episode and that was a chat with Michael McCormick um, he actually did puppet work and I mentioned it in this episode for Dark Crystal Labyrinth and also Star Wars Return of the Jedi uh, I had an absolutely fantastic conversation with this gentleman uh, it was about an hour and 40 minutes long and I've uploaded the whole thing to YouTube with full video I've put timestamps in there as well so if you've already listened to the audio version and you want to see what some of the puppets look like and things go over to YouTube you know Genuine Chit Chats YouTube channel and you can find all that out because it's It was a really, really good conversation. Seeing all the puppets he was speaking about just adds another layer to it. So please let me know what you thought about that. So, coming up, I have got a conversation recorded with Tom Everett, the actor. I've got a two-parter recorded for that, which I'll be releasing at some point in the near future. I've got a podcast recorded with the Chris of the I Like to Like Things podcast, who is an incredible individual, and his podcast is amazing, and if you don't already know what that is, go check out the I Like to Like Things podcast, because I actually appeared in an episode as well, to talk about one of my favourite things, which was Sherlock, but I've included a link to that in the description. Um, But I actually have a conversation due for recording tomorrow, uh, with BZ The Voice. He is a man who's got one of the smoothest voices in the entire planet and he's also created not one but two Green Lantern fan films and he came on Genuine Chit Chat a few months back and he's returning to talk about his second film. I'm going to be joined by Steve J. Ray of the Superheroes for Dummies podcast as well as a menagerie of podcasts he appears on on the Fantastic Beasts podcast feed as well Um, so I'm really excited for that conversation and I think I'll be releasing that next week because his film in Blackest Night Out actually aired the Friday just gone so I think it's the 25th of June so so lots of cool stuff coming in that regard I've done a lot of guest spots recently but make sure you just check out the information of that in the description of this episode make sure you check out the Patreon patreon.com slash genuine if you pay as little as one pound a month you get access to a whole Afterthoughts show which me and Megan do once a week sometimes twice a week depending and we talk about movies and TV series there's even a road trip we went on that we released an episode of that uh, a little while ago so lots of just cool exclusive content But if you want a little sample of that uh, check out our discussion on Spider-Man 3 which Megan absolutely hated but it is hilarious to listen to I've included a link to that in the description as well but if you go to patreon.com slash genuine chat, even if you don't have an account if you scroll down through all of the locked posts eventually you will find spider-man 3 and then if you keep scrolling past that you will find our discussion on the phantom menace and also season one of the witcher all three of those episodes are completely for free you don't even have to have a patreon account just go listen to that and if you like what you hear then maybe consider contributing as I said only one pound a month and you get access to the rss feed you could put that relatively anywhere that you listen to your podcast podcasts and then you'll get access to that feed and any extra long episode of genuine chit chat that gets split in two you get access to the full unsplit episode when part one drops on this usual feed as well Aside from that, guys, the only other thing to mention is if you really enjoy the Loki series that's going on on Disney Plus at the moment, myself, Tonya, Todd and Megan all had a conversation about the first three episodes of that. I've included a link to that. It is on the feed of Comics in Motion if you're listening to this in the podcast apps. But if you're on YouTube and you want to listen to it on YouTube, on the Genuine Chit Chat YouTube channel, I've uploaded that as well. Uh, So make sure you go check that out too. Really, guys, that is it for the time being. In July, I'm going to be doing quite a few little guest spots and things. I've got quite a few podcasts in the bank, so I'm quite excited to release those as well. But yeah, that's really it for me at the moment. So thank you as always for listening, guys, especially all the way to the end. It means the absolute world to me. Please share, review, talk to your friends about this podcast. It would mean the world to me. And aside from that, I will talk to you guys next week. So I hope you have a great week and I'll talk to you then.